Day, right? It's not very often that we actually have church on Boxing Day and it was an opportunity that spoke. So we had to say, because of this unique day, we have to do some things about Boxing Day. So I don't know about your family of origin, but in mine, the word Boxing Day and test go together. <laughs> they go together in your household, do they? And uh, the thought of smashing the palms at cricket, that's uh, really a very happy thought for our lot. <laughs> Probably started around about the time of Lily Marsh. And uh, looks like this year we're going to nicely smash them. And some people say, oh, a bit sad they're not putting up much of a fight. I kept, who cares? It's the palms. <laughs> Tragically, though, there's other things associated with Boxing Day. And some will immediately think of the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami, which claimed about 200,000 lives in Indonesia, Thailand and Sri Lanka. Maybe some will link Boxing Day as the day after Cyclone Tracy hit Darwin in 1974. And no reference to anyone in this room. <laughs> Others will think of Boxing Day sales, a phenomenon in many parts of the world or many parts of the previous British colonies uh, for those people who like to be squashed in queues. Not me. As I thought about it, I thought Boxing Day, and I was intrigued to think, well, actually, I've never really looked into where the meaning of that word came from. What is the history of it? And it turns out it wasn't that hard to find out a few things. So what I found out is the Boxing Day tradition began in Britain probably as early as in the Middle Ages. And there seemed to be a couple of main schools of thought about the origin. Some historians say that it began as a holiday tradition where the house servants, they had house servants in those days, nowadays we have house machines, but they had house servants, they had to work on Christmas Day and they sort of got a reward the day after because the employers would put gifts like food and clothing or money into Christmas boxes, which the servants would then take home with them and you often have their own family holiday on the day after. One of the other traditions says that the Boxing Day is so named because churches, you know, at the back there was a place where you could put money in for the poor and these were wooden boxes. And they usually opened these on the day after Christmas. So that's one of the other traditions. And today it's celebrated, as I said, in most of the other English-speaking countries like Canada, Australia and New Zealand, but the United States, of course, they have nothing to do with it because that's... They broke away, they made their own country. And there's a few more clues in the well-known Christmas carol, Good King Wenceslas. Sounds a bit like coleslaw, doesn't it? Good King Wenceslas. Uh, according to this carol, this king who was the Duke of Bohemia, wherever Bohemia is, in the early 10th century, and he was out there surveying his land on St. Stephen's Day, which is today. December 26, he saw a poor man there gathering wood in the middle of a snowstorm. And he actually was moved by the thought of that guy, poor guy out there. And so he gathered up some surplus food and wine and he carried them out through the blizzard to the door of the peasant. And that good king's action sort of has a happy coincidence with that almsgiving tradition and that it happened on the day after Christmas. And, and so it seems that on the day after Christmas, that's when the English poor most got most of their charity. They're most of their gifts for the year. 
So the church, at some point in its history, decided that 26th of December in the western wing of the church and 27th of December in the eastern wing of the church would be the day that they would remember the early Christian martyr, Stephen. He was martyred there. And if you remember, what was Stephen's job? He, he was to be a deacon and he was to care for the poor widows in the church. So there's a nice link between Stephen and caring for the poor people there. And there's a few variations throughout the countries, but in general, it's a way of acknowledging and saying thank you to people who've done unpaid extra service during the year and just a way of saying thank you. Got a bit out of hand in South Africa for a while there because people would actually take it upon themselves to take boxes around to their clients during and say, oh, look, it's Boxing Day. How about a gift, mate? And they had to outlaw that. Now, people will like to take things that extra mile, won't they? But whatever the exact origin, the general theme is today, Boxing Day is a day specifically to remember the poor in a practical way by giving money or gifts or services. And I don't think anybody here today would have a problem with that because serving the poor is a basic tenet of the Christian faith, isn't it? So take that idea of serving the poor and we're going to look at it from a couple of points of view. We first acknowledge the scripture says you will always have the poor with you. John chapter 12 verse 8, Jesus said, this is Jesus' word, you will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. And in this occasion here he was justifying the fact that Mary's just gone and poured out this expensive perfume on him as an extravagant gift uh, a whole year's wages in fact that's how expensive it was and Judas who's that penny pinching treasurer of the group is just appalled at the gesture of love and preparation for Jesus burial because he's caught by the numbers he's not caught by the love for Jesus and Jesus is saying here that World poverty is not solvable for a myriad of reasons. There will always be people not able to provide a decent standard of living for themselves. So out of that, I'm going to consider just one aspect of poverty. That's where the poverty is self-inflicted. You know, that's what we see with the various forms of substance abuse. We see the gambling addictions, we see the food addictions, we see the diseases caught from illicit sexual practices. We see people abusing machinery such as speeding and so on. And it can be very convenient to blame people for their poverty, for the bad decisions they made, because it might be true. You may have a case. But what do you think God thinks about that? What do you think God thinks about self-inflicted poverty, about people caught in sinful and destructive patterns of behaviour? What do you think he thinks about them squandering their resources? Well, we go and we look at the story of the prodigal son for some answers. Luke chapter 15, you'll find it there. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Dad, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he took off for a distant country and there he just squandered his wealth in wild living. So I guess we're not really feeling very sorry for him at this point, are we? He's, he's on his way down, but he hasn't got to rock bottom yet. 
Then verse 14, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I guess I would have just snuck a few handfuls out, you know. <laughs> But he didn't. And so what's he got to? He now has got rock bottom, hasn't he? And thankfully at rock bottom, there's a light bulb moment. He realises something. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have got food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. Well, one of the things I draw out of this story for us today is what happens when you take God out of your computations? Because so many, like this young man here, have decided that they can take the life that they received and nobody actually gave themselves life, did they? They've received it. They don't realise what they have as a gift. So many take the life that they've been given by God and the opportunities given by God and think, I'll just go off and enjoy life the way I want to enjoy it. And the young man wanted to do things his way. He wanted to try out all the fun things he wanted to try. And like many of us, don't, he didn't want to shoulder the responsibilities of life. So many just want it all and they want it now and they think because they want it that they can have it I was listening to a fellow one time telling me about how complicated his life was oh, there was this problem and that problem and it was so heavy and I gradually realized that just about all of his problems were only problems because he'd made bad decisions and he was feeling the pain of having two incompatible things in his life. In fact, he had many incompatible things that don't go together in his life. And he just needed to realise that and stop some of them or walk away from some to actually take some action to get rid of some of the things which actually shouldn't go together. Instead of moaning about, oh, how hard it is to try and have everything at the same time. So in the story of the prodigal, what does the waiting father do when the son finally hits rock bottom, has the aha light bulb moment, and turns around and starts to take responsibility for his life? When the son's coming down towards him, has he got, oh, great, I've got this list of things I'm going to tell him. He's needs, you know, I'm going to make sure he's learnt this. And look, we're going to have these rules in place for the prodigal to follow so he'll never fall this way again. And, and uh, maybe, oh, gee, he needs a good slapping. Uh, and, and then we'll have a trial period and we'll see if that son's really changed. Did God act like that? Because that's how many of us would. Luke 15, 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around and kissed him. Did you see in there the father ran towards his son? He doesn't stand on the porch going, 
maintaining his posture of, well, mate, you did the wrong thing by me. And unless you come and you can show me that you've got to kind of submit, admit your guilt, he didn't do that. And that's like us. So often if we're hurt, we consider, well, he hurt me. It's his responsibility to start and make all necessary steps, but not the father. He runs towards his son. How counterintuitive. How powerful. How divine. And have you thought about applying that to your own life? How God runs towards you with arms outstretched to hug and then throws a party like he did for this guy, Luke 15, 22. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger. Wow. And sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again, he's lost, he's found. And they began to celebrate. I think it's particularly poignant that this wonderful display of love and acceptance is shown to someone who is poor due to his own bad choices. He has right royally messed up. The reception he gets is not based on that mess up. His reception is based on the character of the father that he left behind. And the story is about how amazing the father is, isn't it? And I guess there's times for all of us today where we've felt like the young man when we've been wandering away from God, we've messed up so bad that we can't imagine being forgiven. We're just completely down on ourselves for how stupid have I been, how arrogant, how self-centered I've been, and I, I deserve everything that's happened to me. Well, this, this story says that whenever you get to that point of turning around, and coming back to God, you will experience the same wonderful kind of love which this prodigal experience. God will metaphorically come running towards you. You won't even have to take all of the steps to get home. He's going to see you a long way off. He's going to come running. He will support even the feeblest attempts to turn back to God. And friends, it is possible to mess up. There are boundaries in life. There are things we shouldn't do, things we can get out of trouble for doing. There is a right way of living. And there are boundaries between good and bad. And don't people want to test those boundaries? Don't they want to write their own boundaries? Don't they want to set their own boundaries? And that's the human experience. The people of Israel read the Old Testament. They did it over and over throughout their history. And most of their attempts to write their own boundaries just failed. The prophet Zephaniah, like so many other prophets, spoke about that reality. Only really a remnant ever understood the boundaries, lived within the boundaries. But for those who did that, for those who stayed their hopes and dreams and lived within God's boundaries, we've got this wonderful prophecy in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. And there's a powerful idea there that God sings over us. He sings over those who are living turned towards God. He is so happy with us 
that he sings over us, just like a mum sings over a little child. But not everyone sees God like that, do they? There's a great little story in the Reader's Digest from February 2005. And there's this man, he says, Well, we were stopped for a routine seatbelt check. My wife and I were asked by the officer if we had our belts on. And he shone his light into the back seat and asked our six-year-old son, Riley, he said, Right, mate, can you put your hands up, buddy? And as they went on their way, the wife looked around and, and Riley was really upset. What's wrong, Riley? She asked him. Oh, I thought he was going to shoot me, said Riley. <laughs> and that's how some of us think about God, that if he shows up, he's going to shoot us. Or worse, when and if God shows up, he's going to be like a policeman. He's going to sort of list all the things we've done wrong uh, and we'll be blown away with shame and disgust. I mean, how many times have you heard people say, oh, if I walked into a church, the church would fall down. Well, the story of the prodigal son is the message of Zephaniah is that God is not going to shoot you. It's all right to do that in worship too, by the way. He's not going to shoot you. His reaction is not going to be based on what you've done, but it's going to be based on your repentance, on your feeling sorry, on your turning around from what you're doing and saying, yes, I want to go your way and I'm going to do what I can. And then he runs towards us and he's so happy with us that he sings over us as mum sings over the baby. There's a song by Benny Hester which takes up that line of thought, takes up that idea of when God ran. We have a God who runs to us. Remember the stories Jesus told about the lost sheep, the lost, the lost son? All stories of search for a precious lost item. And when those items were found, there was joy, there was partying. And that's the picture of God that the Bible gives us. Not of the distance father, uninvolved, uncaring, abusing. It seems to have his sights set on making you miserable. No. God loves you. He sent his very best, his only son, to find you and bring you home. That he may what? Sing over you. That he may delight in you. That he may quiet you with his love. He went to the cross to die for your sins, not to throw them up into your face over and over, but to put them away for all eternity. And that's something to set our mind on. Colossians 3.2 puts all those things and sets your, says set your mind on things above. That's what these are. These are things above. They're not earthly things. And if your worries of life are weighing you down, then you're not doing this, setting your mind on things above. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Let a picture of God running towards you fill your thoughts. And then on Boxing Day... Don't keep the news to yourself and spare a thought 
for the poor. Think about them the way God does, with the same love you've received. Don't blame the poor, even when their poverty is self-inflicted. Pass on the Father's love in practical ways as he shows you a need and moves you to fulfil it. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we want to... We just want to rejoice in what we have seen, Lord, of your greatness this morning. The story you've, that you've told about the prodigal son, and, and yes, none of us have any, any leg to stand upon, but we do know that when we turn to the Father and give him everything, what a joy, what a joy there is in you for us. <laughs> for the joy you have in us. Wonderful. We praise you for that holiness. Amen. Amen.